Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! So I just recorded this really long intro that talked about my feelings again towards this season's one-act play contest. And now that I've got it off my chest and into the ether, I decided that I would delete it. Anyway, hey, Charles Hobby. Um, and hey, music being gone in three, two. Uh, Charles Hobby's this week's guest. I got to work with Charles a little bit, not directly. It's almost like when uh, for an animation, animated film, the voice actors work together but they don't work together so i kind of did that with charles hobby on thespian one or uh, thespian uh short film uh years ago when he was adjudicating them and i was adjudicating them and um i believe he came to one of the workshop rooms just to give some feedback at one point but also bobby ramirez hey bobby congratulations on advancing uh you deserve it Anyway, but uh, Bobby's been trying to get me to get him on for quite some time. Get Charles on, not Bobby. Nobody wants to hear that. But um, anyway, so I had him on. Uh, in a nutshell, I uh, recorded a 10-minute intro about my thoughts and feelings on taking one-act play way too seriously and taking the element of education out of it and how some directors ruin the experience for their students uh, because all they can see is gold at the end of the tunnel and don't care about the experience and only the advancing. That's in a nutshell what I said. Uh, didn't call anybody out, but uh, I, I was appalled by some of the behavior from some directors this one-act play season and all in the spirit of just some friendly artistic competition bullshit. So anyway... Yeah. Uh, so I deleted it. Uh, you get what I'm saying. I do want to say I went kind of viral on Facebook, at least in the tech theater educator page, because I posted a picture of the high school that I was contest managing at that has a massive window in the back of house left that lights up the entire theater. And there's no such thing, at least, you know, obviously when the sun is out, there's no such thing as a blackout. Like if they have matinees, which they have had, I talked to the director, then your students can just like find their spot on stage perfectly. Like we could have done set up without work lights. That's how bright it was. Not, not really. I mean, but pretty dang close. So, um, anyway, that's kind of weird, but, uh, but yeah, I posted that picture and it got quite the response. I'm a big deal. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep myself tame on this one because I want to keep working in this in this environment as a contest manager because uh, I really do enjoy it. I enjoy the the part where I have to calm your kids down because you've given them a panic attack. Um, I don't enjoy the panic attack, but I enjoy being there for the kids and having some compassion because some people don't. Anyway, I'm gonna shut up before I get myself in trouble. Uh, there are some things that are changing. I'm not gonna say what or when yet. But I will tell you that things are changing, and I'll get more pacific once things become official. Uh, I'm going to have to record next week's intro very early because I'm going to be going out of town, but I'll talk about that in the intro. So if, if things change between Wednesday and Sunday when it releases, 
like the world uh, falls to hell, uh, then it won't be in next week's intro. So I'll be out of town. Anyway, enjoy Charles. Oh, 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 oh. Buy a shirt. Support the podcast. I will stop really pushing the shirts once I make back the money I have to spend in order to get this podcast on the interwebs, on Al Gore's internet. So, hey, buy a shirt. Some of them are Kip. I am a theater teacher. Kip. Uh, Shows before broth. Kip. Minor wisdom. Kip. Keep farts in school. Kip. Anyway, talk to you late, bruh. I didn't do any theater in high school at all. I had some friends that did. I played football and basketball and was on student council. So I was fairly active in my school, but not not doing theater. And then I decided to take a gap year that stretched into four gap years. Uh, and I worked a couple jobs. I worked in a garage, drove a wrecker. Uh, then I got into bell hopping. And then I decided I'd go back to school. So I thought, well, let's ease into this a little bit. And I took three classes, a business class, a philosophy class, and a theater class. And uh, from there, I auditioned for You Can't Take It With You at Zachary Scott back in the Oh, man, mid-80s, late-80s. Uh, and I got cast as Ed Carmichael. So only show I'd ever done, first show I'd ever done. And I got involved and thought, this is pretty cool. Um, just the whole mix of it. I mean, I played a lot of team sports, so I was kind of used to the to the camaraderie, but I wasn't used to the, the goal being putting on a show and communicating some kind of a message. So uh, I was working for an attorney at the time who knew Dr. Jennings at UT. And he said, you should have lunch with Dr. Jennings and he can explain to you what a theater degree could do for you. So I got to have lunch with Dr. Jennings when I wasn't even enrolled at UT. And he talked to me about the theater program and whatnot. And so the next year I applied and got in. Um, it was a lot of fun. I felt like a fish out of water. First of all, I was about 24, 23. And most, as a freshman, most of the other freshmen were 12 or 13, it seemed like. Um, so that was an odd experience. And so I got to kind of have a unique path and then I ended up hanging out with more grad students um, than I did undergrads. Uh, and the professors looked at me slightly differently too. And I was very fortunate. I mean, Dr. Brockett was at UT at the time. Um, I can't even remember everybody's name, but some great, uh, Tom Whitaker was there. So I got to meet some really great professors and find out that things, Stephen Gerald uh, was just a much bigger, deeper endeavor than I thought it was you know I thought oh we'll do shows and I met some of these people and realized there's like this touches on all levels and all history of all of all humanity everywhere in the you know on the globe every culture everything so that was kind of an eye-opening experience and then I auditioned for the BFA acting program junior year and got in again a little more out of my depth but you know it was fun and I got through that and then when I got out of school I acted in Austin for a while most of my life, like even when I was an undergrad, I worked for AISD and after school programming for third, fourth and fifth graders. So I was always working with young people. I worked for a place called the Kids Gym, which was trying to get kids athletically involved, even though they might not be playing sports. I worked for the YMCA. I worked for the Jewish Community Center. I did summer camp. So I was always working with young people. And I was doing that during the day and then trying to act a little bit at night. And then Johanna Whitmore called me at Round Rock High School and she said, hey, I want you to come help us do some lighting for Godspell. I said, okay, sure. And they had some money, uh, not much, but you know, every penny counts. So I showed up and they wanted to rig some lights and they gave me a couple of students under my charge. And um, I remember one of them kept asking me questions and she'd run up and she said, why is everything black? 
I'm like, I don't know. What would happen if it wasn't black? And she ran away. She comes back about five or six minutes later. She goes, well, if it was white, then the light would bounce everywhere and you couldn't control it as well. I said, yeah, that sounds good. She asked me another question. I tell her, I don't know. She'd run away and she'd come back with the answer. And I thought, you know, this teaching is not so hard. All you got to do is ask the right questions and then they learn stuff. So I went back to UT for a year and a half uh, to get certified to teach. Was again very fortunate. My uh, serv- my um, seminar class was taught by Lynn Murray and Rod Caspers. So again, I fell right into it. Um, my discipline and, and um, behavior class was Dr. Bob Duke, uh, who now does Two Guys on Your Head. So I just fell into like some great people to, to give me ideas and to guide me forward. Then I got a job at Bryan High School, uh, thanks to Lynn Murray. And because of that, I worked with Joe Kopeck as my principal. That's the same principal that hired Billy Dragoo. So Billy and I had this weird connection. And so I started to get into talk and listen to Billy, which is always a learning experience and, and fun at the same time. Uh, and then while I was at Bryan High School, I met Francie Hazelton, who t- took me to Thespians. I mean, took me because we were in East Texas and it was in Abilene. And we drove to Abilene. Jerry Ayers was, I think, the director at the time. And that was just another like incredible eye opener. I was like, wow, this thing exists. So the next year we started a troop, started going every year. Uh, I've been going every year since. And that was 98. I think I founded three troops and every school I went to started a troop and we just go. And that's where I met, well, you know, so many people. I can't even, I was trying to go through my Facebook the other day to get names and there's just too many of them. But I was very fortunate also. I had a student run on the board. And so I got to be on the adult advisory committee uh, when Carlin Gilseth was running the show um, and met CJ and Moses and Wendy Pratt and all these great people that, um, I mean, they just challenge you, not intentionally, but you talk to them, you hear what they're doing. And you're like, OK, I've got to do a little bit more. I got to do a little bit better. Uh, and plus, the ideas you get from them are so incredible. Um, what else has happened? Well, I got to serve on the TEA committee to rewrite the text in 20. To 2008, we did that. I think it was 2008. Yeah, there have been a couple of revisions, but yeah, yeah. The last one, I think, was, yeah. well, not the last one, the second to last one. Yeah. When we started the tech theater track and the musical theater track. Um, and that, again, was a great experience. Um, got to do some SEDFA, do some SEDFA training and present with SEDFA, which was great. Um, of course, Thespians and TETA has always been wonderful. Uh, and I've just gotten to work with some people that really just by being around them, you know, you kind of absorb these ideas and this energy. Yeah. Uh, 2014, I was awarded a scholarship to go to London and study at the Globe Theater for three weeks for an intensive of teaching Shakespeare through performance. And that was like mind blowing. Uh, we worked on stage. We worked in the Sackler Studios. Um, so we got to live in the Globe for three weeks and, and just absorb all of that. And not that it made me like, you know, the Shakespeare guru. I have more knowledge than I that I went there with for sure, but just the ideas that they had about, you know, it's about connecting it. Uh, it's not about having this reverence for Shakespeare and doing this thing. It's about, does it mean something to the kids? Does it mean something to you? Does it mean something to society? Because he was about putting up plays that were entertaining, but also had a message and he had a, he had a rough crowd. I mean, if you played a penny to stand in the pit, you wanted some entertainment. You don't want to sit there and have to, 
So they really discussed how he worked those three levels, you know, the upper level, which was the intellectuals, the mid level, which was just your, maybe not your common man, but your more common man in the pit. And they wanted, they wanted entertainment. They wanted something funny. They wanted something body and how he dealt with that and working it. And that I found is applicable to all our shows. There's a little bit of everything. If it's a well-written show, there's a little bit of everything in it. How do you bring that about? Yeah. And what, have you been to Edinburgh? We also took a show to Edinburgh. And when we went, unfortunately, Johan and I had to go the year before to scope it out. That was part of the yeah, deal. Yeah. Yeah. So Real we went and watched shows. And I think they called it the fam trip. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. That's I think correct. they cut that out now. You just go once. But we went the, that year. Then we took kids the next year. And we brought skin of our teeth. Um, that's back when you got two suitcases. Yeah. For free. So I told the kids, you get one suitcase. Your second suitcase is mine. We packed a full set. We had Ikea chairs broken down in suitcases that we assembled there. And um, just, yeah, seeing all those shows and all the people, that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, you 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 know, if you go back to uh, when you were an athlete, um, if I don't know if you're a betting man or not, but how what are the odds of you becoming a theater teacher? What do you think those odds would have been? Like <laughs> one out of a hundred or <laughs> pretty slim. <laughs> yeah. Probably I probably had a better chance of playing in the NFL than I did becoming a theater teacher. Yeah. What, what position did you play? Uh, I was an offensive lineman. Okay. Um, and then once I made varsity, I was left guard primarily. Okay. Were you, so you're not a very, you're a tall guy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify you under, I mean, now you're, not lineman size, but were you uh, lineman? Oh, I was about just shy of 6'2", weighing about 230 in high okay. school. Okay. So that was decent size, and it, it was the late 70s. We weren't quite as big. Right. Uh, nowadays, yeah, I walk around campus thinking, geez, yeah. where these guys come from? Yeah. Um, but I had, you know, college, not Division One schools, but I had some opportunity to play after high school, but I just wasn't – I knew it wasn't in the cards for me. I didn't want to play college football. Did you have any family pressure? No, no. Okay, good. No, there was a lot of, I mean, the, the approach to college back then, there was a lot of steroids going on and, sure. you know, offensive linemen just got huge and I was like, I don't really want to be huge. Yeah. A lot of steroids and turkey legs. And tur- yeah. yeah. And I was like, <laughs> mm. yeah, you know, I mean like Howard Payne and there yeah. were smaller schools that offered me some stuff, but, um, that's really I cool. Wasn't interested in it. Yeah. That's never, uh, that was always been one of my um, you know, they say, they say actors want to be rock stars and rock stars want to be actors. Uh, <laughs> I, I always kind of wanted to, to know what it was like to be an athlete, but <laughs> didn't get blessed. <laughs> so, well, uh, I don't I mean, I don't know how athletic I am. You, offensive line, you take about four steps and you yeah. shove people. That's, <laughs> as long as you can do that well, you're good. That's about what I had. I mean, I could shove anybody around for four steps and then you, I was done. <laughs> you'd, you'd make a horrible coach. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you took that gap year. I just had this conversation with a couple of students. The school I teach at now is, is for all intents and purposes, a, a, a college prep private school. Right. right. And uh, so the, the assumption is that they have a hundred percent of their students attending uh, university or, or some right. sort of college. And I have a student that spoke the unspoken um, <laughs> gap year conversation with me about taking some time off and so on and so forth. And, and I said, man, you know, uh, gap year is different for everybody. Uh, some people can discipline themselves to say, 
August, you know, this time next year I'll be in college and there's no ifs, ands, or buts or, uh, and then there's some people that it sound like you did at least for four years where the, it's, it's kind of a sweet gig for a while because you're able to control your schedule, you work, you make money, so on and so forth. So where do you stand now if a student were to come up to you and ask you about, Mr. Hobby, I want to take a gap year. What do you, what do you think you'd say to them? Well, first I'd ask them why. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of them for me was like, I didn't know I could go to college. I was accepted to UT out of high school, but I didn't know what to, what I was going to study. Right. Like, What's your major? Like, I don't know. Um, I had no clue because I played football and back in the day, back then that meant you passed. And so I had the grades, but I had no, no direction whatsoever. So I thought, you know what, why go to college and, and just be wandering aimlessly through classes? Let me take a while off and figure out what I want to do with my life. So I got a job as a mechanic. Well, I wasn't really a mechanic. There were mechanics there. I helped them. Let's put it that way. Um, cars were a lot simpler back then, too. They had maybe eight or nine wires in the, under the hood. Um, so I would want to know why. I mean, is it just, you know, is it from pressure? Uh, some of these kids, you know, school winds them up pretty tight and they might need a year to unwind just, just because they know what they want to do, but they're just not ready to go. Bam, bam, bam. But a lot of them really, and some of ours is amazing. I mean, there's so many options. Like you could do anything you want. You could go to health sciences. You could be an engineer. You could, because they're so, you know, so capable in so many ways that how would you decide? I had maybe two options. And, you know, these kids have four or five. I mean, I don't know how you would decide. Now, I'd be very careful in speaking to them because unless their parents were in the room, I wouldn't want to overstep my bounds. But I think a lot of them shove, I mean, I think it's statistically proven that there's more people changing majors now than ever before. People tend to go into college. If they're not smart and pick general studies right off the bat and say, I don't know yet, they're going to change their major because it's just hard to tell. And they don't really get to dive in as much in high school. I feel like we should allow them yeah. to play more in high school and they might have a better idea. Yeah. My wife and I just had a conversation about um, taxes. We, we just had to pay the IRS, Uncle Sam, quite a bit of money. And uh, it was because of a mistake that was made. It's because they don't teach you that stuff, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's we just had that conversation about what, what they should teach you. Have a little bit of a here's how to adult um, yeah. in, in high school. But I know when I, at UT I needed three hours of math for the fine arts degree, which I was very thankful for. Yeah. And then I walk into the math class and I was the only non-athlete in the class. I thought, yes, this is going to work. And that's what we did. We did like mortgages and simple yeah. interest and compound interest. And so you could figure that I can understand that. I can't understand my phone bill. Yeah. But it's a little more complicated than a mortgage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was one of the most helpful classes because it was math that, you know, I still use. Yeah. Pra practical math. Yeah. Cosine, so I haven't used. Uh, I don't even know when. No. Yeah, I, I sit and listen to my students talk about all kinds of stuff, the integral of this and the cosine of that. And I'm like, hey, just just know what, how to find the area of a circle and uh, and and how to, yeah, and how to balance a checkbook. And you guys will be, you know, and even that you, you can do that online now. So, you know, or, yeah, so go ahead. I just yeah, I think that there's we're still stuck somewhat in like some old school thinking. Yeah about what kids need to know. And we're still the keepers of the knowledge as opposed to someone who helps them access knowledge. And I have freshmen. They'll say, what does that word mean? I'm like, you've got a computer in your pocket. Yeah. Don't be asking me what the word means. And they'll, Oh, when they pull it out and look it up. Yeah. 
These kids these days. Uh, so <laughs> you. Well, it's funny because I've been on their phone for all kind of stuff. And then you say, like, I had my tech class. I told a kid, I said, don't be all pernicious. <laughs> he's like, what does that mean? I'm like, find out. And like yeah. 10 seconds later, he's like, oh, that means like destructive behavior. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that easy he's like, oh, okay. And now he's into all kind of stuff. He's always coming in with words, throwing words at me. I throw words at him and yeah. go look it up, you know. And Yeah. That's the relationship part of being an educator. So you know, got to create that stuff. So you, 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 you perked my ears up because I'm a Jewish man. Uh, you said you worked at the Jewish community center. Uh, was that in Austin? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, some, somewhere, somehow our paths have probably crossed in crossed in some way, uh, back in the either eighties or nineties or whenever you were working there. But, um, man, I'm trying to think probably, I think 9091, but okay. only in the summer, only for summer camp. Yeah, yeah. I worked I worked at Highland Park Elementary, which is in West Austin, uh, which had a fairly high Jewish um, yeah. population. And I met um a student and his mother was part of the JCC and she goes, Oh, he'd be a great summer. So I was the only non-Jewish counselor. Yeah. Which was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, both from the other counselors and the way they would pick on me. And because uh, we had a game they had like to play whenever we went out in public was called, is that a Jew? <laughs> That's they true. Would point, they would point at somebody and I'd have to say yes or no. And every time I'd say, no matter what I, I always got it wrong. Yeah. But if I said yes, they'd be like, no, look at him. Yeah. Like, if I yeah. said no, they'd say, yes, he is. Look at him. Your, your Judar is not calibrated oh, properly. Yeah. 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 Horrible. My, horrible. my wife and I, we <laughs> play a very similar game. <laughs> so <laughs> she is, she is not, uh, she doesn't recognize the tribe as, as nearly as easily as, uh, as I do. So I don't either, but I did make one decision that was golden. Yeah. I found out later was we were at McDonald's and one of the kids wanted to get a cheeseburger. Yeah. Which was not, and his family was pretty kosher. Yeah. So he said, what do you think, what do you think I should do? I said, I think you should order whatever you'd order if your mother was here. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. So you got a cheese, you got a cheese sandwich. And the next day, Mark Shapiro came in and he goes, I don't know what you did yesterday, but you're golden now. And I was like, I don't know. He said, whenever you defer to the Jewish mom, you've made the right choice. Mark Shapiro, one of the, one of the most Jewish names. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, you probably at some point, um, knew my, like my grandfather, John Minor and Ruth Minor, they, they used to run, uh, the Jewish community center and just the community itself in Austin. But, you know, I don't expect you to remember those names now, but, uh, uh, but he's, well, I worked for them the year, the year after this last year, I worked for them. The next year is when Michael Dell donated the property yeah. for the new center. Right. So I think that was the early nineties. Yeah. We were working out of a trailer off of Jollyville road. Yeah. It was, it, it was not a nice thing, but it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. the center. That it wasn't with. what it is now. Uh, so you, and you also said not to keep this religious, but you said your first show was Godspell. The first, well, the show that I went live with Joe, oh. my first show as an actor was, you can't take it with you. Right. Oh, sorry. The first, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your first, I mean, uh, first right. Educational you, that, endeavor. Joe, Joe was doing Godspell and asked me to come up and help him with some lights. And so what, what was that? I mean, like, did you, was that just a, I'm going to say yes, because you're not supposed to say no to things or uh, like, what was that? Well, I knew Joe because when I was at UT, um, her ex-husband, Barry Pinio and I were, were pretty friendly and did yeah. shows together. In fact, we'd started a, a theater company called West bank theater company with Bob ball, uh, and Jim Banro and Johanna and Barry and myself. And so we were connected and I mean, it offered, they had money. 
it wasn't a free gig. I got a, you know, made a few hundred dollars off of it and broke a couple fire codes and yeah. <laughs> with the show. As you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Godspell was one of my first as well. Uh, outside of high school, was one of my first shows that I uh, was a lighting person, a lighting designer for. So, uh, you know, another little parallel. Uh, uh, the other thing you you said that that um, kind of quickly resonated with me was you said you were challenged by your peers. You kind of you kind of ran over that real quick, but I, I I want you to expand upon that because you mentioned uh, Wendy and 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 you know Billy Dragoo even. Um, but the unintentional challenge, challenged by your peers, can you kind of speak on, um, what, ex what exactly that means to you? Because I know what it means to me as far as, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm tight with Mel Edwards and I, you know, I don't say that right now, meaning I'm going to break off that friendship, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we, we've become friends quickly based on just a, an interest in making each other better at our craft. Right. And so even this morning I texted her something and she texted, you know, there's, there's just constant give and get, uh, when it comes to talking about just being better theater educators and tech theater educators and such, but it's not competitive. Um, it's right. just, you know, it's just a, we're sharing ideas, but also like, man, if they can do that, then we could be, you know, we could do. So I want you to talk about what that means to you as well. Well, yeah, I would agree with everything you said, and it's it's unintentional and it's it's healthy um, competition if it is competition. But just hearing them talk about even like I took a workshop from Billy at TETA or TXETA TX. Yeah, that's right, TXETA. Yeah, TXETA. That's what it is today. Yeah. Um, and just hearing him reiterate things and like challenges he has in the classroom, you're like, oh, it's not just me which I think despite the fact that we have, you know, three or four directors at each school, we still tend to silo sometimes and you don't realize, no, everybody's going through this and your solutions aren't so bad, but here's a tweak. Um, hearing about their shows and, you know, um, just discussing design problems, um, facility issues, uh, and just, you know, the way they get through it. And, and also with, a, I guess, a, a dose of, of humor most of the time, we tend to all, uh, sometimes we spiral into that, dark pit of what's wrong with our world but usually it seems like we we tend to deal with it in a more positive way but um when i met wendy and cj and, and moses we were on the adult advisory board and so it's just a matter of like how we viewed the kids you know some of us like i think um i think it was moses had a girl on the board and so did i and so the whole time we're peeking out the blinds at the pool to see what's going on out there are there any strange boys coming around and um, just figuring out that, you know, it's a, it's a weird gig. It's not like most teachers. I mean, I think coaches maybe and some things, but it's a different kind of gig where that you're, you are a teacher and you're a mentor and you're a director, but there's also times where you have to be a little more, a little different and you have to kind of guide them in a different way. And so hearing these stories from my peers, it's like, okay, you know, this is, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to go. There's, there's more for me to get more involvement for me to get with these kids and teach them things without telling them what to think, but just throwing that opportunity out there and, and then helping them figure out how to make sense of it. My tech tip, just the tip of the week is that tracking in a board versus Q only in a light board. A lot of you have elements or ions, ions, X, ion XE. Some of you have strand boards. You still have tracking 
you need to make sure that tracking uh, is only used when you know what tracking is going to do versus queue only. And in a nutshell, real quick, tracking is, let's say you've recorded a bunch of queues and you go back and you want to add in a light into queue three, but you have a hundred queues and you add that light in and you record, not update, record over that queue with that light in. Now, all the queues after that are going to have that light in it until you tell that light to turn off. And now I say not update, it's different on a different boards, but when you track something, it's going to track through your cues until you tell it to turn off. If you have something on queue only, it'll record to that queue only. All right, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the interview. Uh, you, you sort of uh, talked about this too, just transitioning now. Uh, you did not do one act play in high school, correct? Am I? No, uh, yeah. Never so, so I never acted a lick in high school. Right. So then your introduction to it was at UT, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. So did you, did you take some of that competitive side of you as an athlete and, and, and morph that into a competitive UIL world? Or uh, would you say that you kind of separated the two because art competition? I mean, what, how, what, what type of UIL director is Charles Hobby? Oh, Lord. Um, <laughs> well, I will say, like, as an athlete, I was incredibly um, superstitious to an extent. Like, I, my pregame ritual was exactly the same. And if you interrupted it, I was not happy with you. Um, in basketball, I wore socks. I put my socks on the same way every game, tied my shoe the same way. Football was a little less equipment oriented, but it was more like how I get my head in the game. And that I think I brought over. Uh, and I have an issue. Students in the last four or five years are much less routine. I think they're just used to being disrupted so much. I don't know what, but yeah, I, I like when I acted, I had my warm up. Don't talk to me. Don't require anything of me. I'll be on stage on time, but this is what I need to do to get ready. So I have a very, fairly rigid um, prep, which I try to bring over, but I don't want to impose it either. I mean, if, if that's not your gig, then it's not going to help you get on stage. Um, so, yeah, competitive. Yeah, my first experience was um, timekeeper at state because I had Lynn Murray as, for seminars. So he's like, all right, you guys are all working state. So I'm timekeeping with Lou Ida Marsh as a judge. So I'm sitting there thinking, these people, you know, I got two watches. A fellow goes over by like a minute and a half. So I was like, man, this is stressful. <laughs> this whole situation. That was like my opening experience with UIL. I said, this is pretty stressful. But then when I got to teaching, um, even though I was competing with the Woodlands and these powerhouse schools, I mean, I go down there and Carlin Gilseth is the host. And so it was quickly, I learned quickly that it's, it's very competitive and it's very fierce, but at the same time, it can be very, uh, friendly and cooperative and learning and people are there for you. And if something goes wrong, I had did crimes of the heart. And one of my flats fell down and people were bringing the birthday cake in like on their knees, trying to get under the flat. And everybody's like, that's okay. It happens to everybody. You know, I thought, yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? But if it happens in your musical, you know, it's a different story, <laughs> you know? So yeah, that's funny. Uh, why, what is it about um, Shakespeare now that you appreciate compared to before you spent your time at the globe? Well, I think one thing that they really talk about is like 
don't you don't have to do the whole play. Yeah. And if you want to teach Shakespeare and you want to uh, um, get people to like Shakespeare, find something that that sells and and work on it. That it's really thick. I mean, he wrote meter and verse and rhyme and all this stuff that's really important. But if you try to focus on all of it, like unfortunately a lot of our English departments do sometimes, it's just overwhelming. Pick a speech, pick a scene and work it and figure out how it works. And then if it's what you really want to do, then you can get into doing a whole play. But that you don't always have to produce it all. Um, and we have a student this year, we were fortunate enough to win the ESU Austin chapter. She's going to go to New York next month and compete on the national. Um, she did a, you know, a monologue and a sonnet. Uh, but we kept it small, just work on little pieces at a time. Um, but it really the craft, I mean, the, his actors didn't rehearse. You know, they had cue scripts and they met a couple times maybe, but the listening, the ability to listen. When I was there, um, they did an original pronunciation version of um, the Scottish play. And so these actors had met twice. And it was really, I mean, they were really listening because they had to. Because I knew that I knew the line you were going to say that cued me, and that's all I knew. So I had to really look at you and listen to what you were saying and understand it. And I was like, "Wow, you know, this is listening on a whole other level." Yeah. Um, so that and just you know the, the fun of it. It's fun. Don't get bogged down too heavy. I mean, there's consonant clusters and open vowels and all these things you can look at, but ultimately it was it needs to be entertaining. Right. Now you know, Troilus and Cressida. Timon of Athens, maybe not the best plays to go after, maybe not that entertaining, but the, you know, the ones that are well-written, they're very entertaining. If they're not, if the audience walks away, this is the thing. And this is in, in the empty space too, that if the audience walks away thinking they didn't understand it and it's their fault, they're wrong. It's your fault. Right. Cause that's our job. If you can't make them understand and enjoy it, then you did something wrong. But our audiences tend to think it's them. I think even in most of our plays, we got parents walking like, well, I didn't get it. Well, then we didn't give it to you yeah. because that's our job. Yeah, that's that's a, a good perspective. I, 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 people that I don't know how many people listen to every episode of that I that I post, but um, by now most people know that I I took on in the middle of the year I took on a Shakespeare class for seniors at my school. Uh, the teacher left in the middle of the year, and so I was the next next best option. And uh, the she's an English teacher was. And so the kids were used to read play, watch play, write something about it, right? And then, and I walked in, and that's just not how theater teachers teach Shakespeare. And so they were completely, it was just completely flipped. And so right now, what we're doing, we're wrapping up the year really. And seniors at my school, seniors have a have a pretty sweet deal, and they end school a little earlier than the rest. But we're wrapping up the year with a project, and I'm allowing them to answer. <clears throat> a question this is like their big research project and uh <clears throat> i had one girl who decided to um uh ask the question should we continue to study shakespeare and again this is from a kid that entered a class thinking she was taking an english kind of seminar ish type class right. <clears throat> and i'm curious to see what <laughs> what her <laughs> what the, what the outcome is of that. But, um, there is that element of the, all they were doing was reading it, talking about it and then moving on. And, uh, um, it was disturbing to say the least. So well, I've had students say, well, we listened to it. I mean, what do you mean you listen to it? Well, yeah. we listened to it. 
you listen to a one production of it. Yeah. Sure. Like they don't even realize whatever you were played and it's always a British version. So they think all Shakespeare's done in British dialect that that's one production. That's not the play. Right. Um, a lot of them aren't aware of that. Right. And, and, and the other thing is, is that I, I, and I told the kids this cause I took ASL in college as my language and ASL is real big on facial expression, body movement. You know, it's not yeah, just okay. a sign. It's not just using your hands right. to, and, and I tell them it's the same with Shakespeare. Like <clears throat> you can read and listen to Shakespeare all you want, but unless you see it, unless you see the emotion or see what the actor is trying to portray, you're not going to, you probably won't get it. Um, yeah. You probably won't understand it. So anyway. And unfortunately it's not always done well, yeah. Effectively. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so the way you and I met was through uh, film, for through thespians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, are you a film person? Uh, you know, what did did Bobby Ramirez slip you a $20 bill and say, can you help judge these? Or like what? No. <clears throat> what? <laughs> Actually, it was, it was Carlin. Oh, was it Carlin? Uh, I think the year he took over thespians, they had a film contest. Okay. And then when we went on this retreat, it was part of the, the advisory board and i he's you know i said well i'll do it yeah uh you know it doesn't seem like it's that complicated we make some create some parameters and throw them out there and so at the first year i um i asked for I, my thought and it didn't go over very well with very many people was that part of the parameters would be that it'd be somehow instructional like we could say uh, make a film about greek theater anything you want to do about greek theater but make it about greek theater and then as a and then the thespians could house these in archives and people and teachers could access them. So I got some really great films about Aeschylus and Sophocles and um, all kinds of things, animated films that were hysterical, Euripides. Um, but I got a lot of blowback because it was infringing on people's artistic freedom. So I think we did only two years of that. And then it, and then it was like, okay, just a film, whatever. Um, and, and so that lasted for a while. Then finally, it got big enough that I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And then it got into more technical stuff like the cuts and the camera angles, which I, you know, I can tell you if I, it's kind of like singing. I can tell you if you're off key, but I can't necessarily tell you which way to go. Just stop singing what you're singing. Um, and so Bobby got involved and, and had much more, I think, of the technical knowledge and, and to be able to really critique the film from a filmmaker's perspective, from a storyteller's perspective, from a director's perspective. Um, and so I was like, I'm out. Uh, so it was fun while it lasted. And then I think I handed it off to some people that really know what they're doing with it. Well, he, he, I'm one of those people and I don't, I can't say that I necessarily know what I'm doing, but I, I agree with you on the, on the choral side of things, that sort of analogy of, <clears throat> I can, I can tell you that you're doing it wrong, <laughs> but I don't know how to tell you to, to auto correct, you know, uh, right. and, to, and to fix it. That's not where my training is. So I totally understand that, but um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a whole, it's a beast now. And Bobby, you know, went to, went to UT as well with the film, uh, side of things. So that's kind of why he, uh, you know, he's kind of a film junkie. So, yeah. Now this year at TETA, I got to, I was assisting Luis for the, yeah. for the UIL film, but because of COVID or just post COVID, whatever. Uh, we didn't have very many entries, so we didn't really get to do much. But, you know, I get to listen to his take on it, too, and what, and what they're trying to do with the UIL film. And, um, it's all the same. I think it's really just giving kids an opportunity to tell stories. But it's really original works. Or we certainly have them at TETA and at Thespians. But I think it's harder for a student, a high school student, to produce a play right. 
or write a play and then produce it and bring it. It just takes more. The film is a little more accessible to them. It gives them the chance to tell their story a little quicker. Right. So um, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Uh, uh, and we hit that sweet spot that we discussed right at the beginning. Uh, so, so that's good. You did it. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you, you had a, a unique upbringing in, in at least the state of Texas's eyes of theater education, right. And that you didn't really touch it until kind of later in, in, in our view later in your life. Right. Cause a lot of yeah. theater educators, uh, got bit by that bug at middle school one act play or something like that, you know? Right. Uh, so for the, for people that are, I, I always try to, I end with, with some sort of, uh, you know, uh, um, words of wisdom or, uh, <laughs> something for new teachers, especially, cause I know there are a lot of new teachers out there that sometimes have a lot of anxiety towards entering the profession, uh, or maybe some imposter syndrome, whatever it is. But, uh, what, what, what would you say to somebody that knows that they want to enter theater education, but they really don't have the background uh, that similar to what you had when you first started uh, and didn't think that that was necessarily their path, but it is their path and they're going down that road. Uh, what is it that you would tell a new teacher um, about like something to look out for or everything's going to be okay? Or what is it about the profession that, that they can look forward to different, whatever that might be. I'm kind of adding more words and need be to give you time <laughs> to think about it. But, um, but yeah, uh, if you have anything. That's a big question. It is. I would yeah. say that, um, <laughs> I was thinking earlier about, um, the, um, um, Oscar Hammerstein quote from, from, um, King and I, where he says, if you're a teacher, your pupils will teach you or you'll learn from your pupils. And I think that's what I would tell him. You you probably don't have all the cards you need right now, but that's OK, because the ones you really, really need are those connections with the kids. And if you can connect with them and, and help them understand what stories they are telling, what stories they want to tell, how these stories affect them, um, the rest of it will come. Uh, there's great organizations out there that can help you. Uh, with workshops and stuff. But the key is that, do you really want to connect with these kids? Do you really want to give them an opportunity to figure out who they are um, and who they can be? I mean, it's that Boal quote, we should all do theater to find out who we are and who we can become. Um, and I think that's important. If that's, if that's what's driving you forward, you're going to be okay. If winning and doing the best flashiest show is driving you forward, you still might be fine, but it's going to be a different road. Um, It'll be a different road. Minor wisdom. <laughs>